Baseball! Hi and welcome to the fifth episode of the SIS Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon, Senior Research Analyst for Sports Info Solutions. The goal of this podcast is to both inform and entertain. Baseball analytics are cool, interesting, and fun. Our company develops them and provides them to MLB teams, media, and fantasy baseball outlets. We'll give you a peek into our world, talk to important people around the industry about analytics storylines, and share what we find to be cool, interesting, and fun. On today's show, we'll be joined by baseball writer Joe Sheehan. My colleague Andrew Kine and I will look at some leaderboards and some recent work, and we'll have the ridiculous numbers of the day. We'll start the show with our opening monologue, which we'll call... Batter up! We always open the show spotlighting a player or a team for their defensive performance. Today's choice might come as a surprise. In addition to signing Bryce Harper, the Phillies made a big move this offseason in trading for one of the best hitting catchers in baseball, JT Realmuto. Realmuto hasn't quite lived up to his billing on the offensive side, but he's done plenty of good work on the defensive side. Realmuto entered Wednesday ranked second among catchers with seven defensive runs saved. Much of that comes from his throwing arm. He's thrown out a high percentage of base dealers trying to steal, 44%. And he's picked off two others. But that's not all. Realmuto has been a major upgrade in terms of blocking pitches from Jorge Alfaro, who was one of the worst-ranked catchers in baseball last season. Realmuto checks in above average so far. There have only been eight wild pitches and pass balls with him catching. And though Realmuto does not have a good reputation as a pitch framer, He's contributed positive value in that area, too. There hasn't been much to talk about from a positive perspective on the Phillies' defense since last season, but things seem to be getting better. The Phillies are no longer the worst-rated defense in the majors. They've moved up a few slots. Of course, it's still a small sample, so we don't quite know yet if the Phillies are for real. Joe Sheehan is a baseball writer extraordinaire. He was one of the founders of Baseball Prospectus in the mid-1990s and an editor of the Baseball Prospectus Annual. Now he writes regularly for many entities, including Sports Illustrated. He also writes his own baseball newsletter, which you can preview and purchase at joesheehan.com. Among the subscribers are myself and the owner of our company, John Dewan, who regularly lets us know when Joe writes something he likes. Joe, welcome. First question. We specialize in defense, so you get a defense question first. The Dodgers and Astros lead Major League Baseball in defensive runs saved. What observations do you take away from their defensive performance so far? Yeah, I think when you talk about the Dodgers and Astros and anything they do, you're talking about two of the most uh, data-oriented organizations in the game. And I think that applies when it comes to their defense as well. Now, I know you guys measure shifts, um, and you have, a def- you have a definition as to what a shift is and what a partial shift is. Beyond necessarily where those lines get drawn, though, I think you just have teams that are positioning their players, not as aggressively, but on every pitch, they're putting their players where the ball is going to go. The other commonality there I see is fairly young legs. Um, I want to say the only guys 29 and older on the field for those teams, uh, what, uh, Altuve, Taylor, and uh, I think Springer might be 29. So defense is a young man's game. And to me, you've got, uh, you know, the seven guys, the 14 guys on the field most days for those two teams are generally young. Uh, you, you mentioned, you know, Clay, we saw Cody Bellinger the other day make a great play. This is a guy who came up as a first baseman, but young enough to make himself into a, a very good outfielder. He played a little bit in the outfield the last two years. Now he's one of the best right fielders in baseball. It's just a matter of youth and positioning for those two teams. So in other words, they were well-built. They, they were well-built. I mean, I don't think it's a secret 
anybody that if you make a list of the organizations that do things right, you know, you, you put the Rays in this category, uh, depending on what you're talking about, you talk about the Yankees, but the Dodgers and Astros really, to me, are leading baseball. Um, there's a reason they played in the World Series two years ago. They might very well play in the World Series again this year. Flip the script. What contending teams are most likely to be done in by their defense? Some of this is injuries, but, I mean, the Phillies wanted to upgrade their defense this year. Trading away Carlos Santana at least let them get Reese Hoskins out of, uh, out of the outfield. But you've got a situation now where the injury to Herrera, on top of the injury, I, I take that, excuse me, the uh, Herrera being placed on administrative leave for uh, the incident in Atlantic City uh, this week, on top of the injury to Quinn, leaves them playing Andrew McCutcheon and, I can't believe I'm saying this, Mike, uh, Scott Kingery in center field. And at this point, it might be better off to dredge up Mike Kingery, the uh, Rockies outfielder from, from the 80s and 90s. Um, it's, it's really hurt. Their defense is really it, they get Getting Hoskins out of the outfield helped, but it's not like Hoskins is particularly good first baseman. Um, the only real plus defender they have is Cesar Hernandez. Uh, you can make a case, you know, Gene Sakura is, he, by dint of being a career shortstop and having some speed, but he's certainly not a very good defensive shortstop. They just don't have plus defenders. And especially in the outfield where you just start stacking these mediocre defenders. You know, Bryce Harper talked about his defense last year. It's better than it was last year, but it, it's not gotten back to good. Uh, that's the one team. I think you can see the Phillies literally miss the playoffs this year because they can't put a good defensive team on the field. Um, and then you know, in that same division, the Nationals, a little more obviously, I would say. Um, I think with the Phillies, a lot of it is range. So a ball gets hit into the gap, and you just think, oh, that's a double. Whereas a lot of teams, you know, that play will be made. It's invisible range, right? The Nationals are just mistake prone. The Nationals make a lot of mistakes, um, and that's shown up. You know, really sloppy play, really for two years now under Davey Martinez. And then the third team I might look at is the Cardinals. Um, and I think this goes into what you know, the opposite I was talking about, the Dodgers and Astros. You know, they're an older team. Um, other than Harrison Bader and Colton Wong, uh, at the other, the rest of the, the rest of the field, they're just not that good defensively. Uh, Ozuna, younger, what is he, 28 now, uh, but mistake prone in the outfield. <clears throat> Dexter Fowler, 33 in right. Um, it's just, it's, it, if I was going to pick a next team, I can't think of a team in the AL that's necessarily getting hurt by its defense. Although anytime Byron Buxton is off the field for the, for the uh, uh, Twins, they definitely fall off. You didn't bring up the Mets? I didn't bring up the Mets. I guess I, <laughs> uh, I, I think it's the contender part. Okay. You lose me. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not a very good Mets team either. All right. What, what would you, uh, we're talking state of the game with Joe Sheehan. What would you like to say about home runs? Because that comes up in every state of the game discussion. Home runs from an analytic perspective. This is, I guess, more of an aesthetic perspective, but there are too many home runs. And what I mean by that is they're crowding out everything else. Mark, we're rough same age, I think. And I, I grew up in the 80s watching baseball, and you could win a lot of different ways. You know, Harvey's wall bangers playing Whitey Herzog's Cardinals in 1982. Uh, and throughout the decade, you saw teams win by, by putting time on the field, and you saw teams win by putting speed and defense and on base percentage on the field. And in today's game, and I was going to point to the 2015 Royals, but it was four years ago and the Royals still look like a fluke. Um, there's just not enough variety of approach. Home runs now account for 44% of the runs in the baseball. I just think that breaks the design of the game. There just aren't enough other ways to win. So that to me is the biggest thing with, with, with whether it's the ball or the players, the, the pitchers, whether it's the pitchers at their velocity, the baseballs that they're throwing, the batters 
how they've reacted to velocity. What we can say is that home runs are crowding everything else out, and that's a problem for the entertainment aspect of the game. And people should read your newsletter if they want to see how to fix it, right? Uh, it's something that I've been writing about for some time now, and uh, I think it's only going to get worse. Uh, and and as, you know, I made this point too. If if the baseballs were to suddenly become the the 2014 baseball again, that wouldn't necessarily help either, because now all of a sudden you're just taking all of these fly balls that are home runs, and you're going to turn 90% of them into flyouts. You know, 10% will become doubles and triples, and you'll have 1968 all over again. Yeah. All right, an offshoot of that. We're both uh, people that grew up playing baseball games like Stratomatic or Micro League Baseball or Diamond Mine Baseball. And I remember when I used to have to play games uh, that we had to draft ballparks in addition to drafting players. And I was thinking about this. What ballpark is the most ideal to play baseball in? We have these park factors in the Bill James Baseball Handbook, and you can try and parse it out from that. It's not necessarily easy to do. Uh, but is there a ballpark that plays the most fair in baseball? so much trouble separating this from the aesthetic question like if i want to watch a game i think i want to watch a game in a bigger out with a big in a park with a bigger outfield i still remember the first time i walked into petco which at the time had four was 404 to the gaps and it was the biggest baseball field anybody i'd ever seen i was like wow this is great uh, or you know at&t and triple valley the idea that they might modify that just is horrifying to me uh, but in terms of fairness you know i spent a lot of years watching games in anaheim i lived in uh Southern California for 17 years. I lived in Orange County for about eight. And I always thought that was a very fair ballpark. Uh, you had to hit a ball to get it out, but there was enough room in the outfield for doubles and triples and base running type plays. Uh, I still think it was a fair park up until recently. It's still a fair park, but when they moved, when they signed Shohei Otani, they moved the right field, not the wall, but the line that delineated a home run. They, they moved it down. It's turned it into a better home run park. So it's made it a little less, you know, fair, I think, balanced. But when I think of, like, balanced, average home run of parks, I think of Anaheim. I suppose the other one I think of is Bush Stadium. Uh, I'm not sure the numbers bear that out, but to me that's always been a park where you, you're going to get a share of pitchers park games. You're going to get a share of hitters park games. Home runs are accessible but not cheap. Um, and you do get your share of, of outfield plays. So uh, I would say Anaheim and Bush would be my two choices. I had written down Nationals uh, Park as uh, one of the other possibilities for that. Yeah, I can't get past. I just didn't. I've been there a few times, and I, I just it's in the middle of nowhere. I don't really like it aesthetically, <laughs> and I think that's why I didn't. And again, some of this is how do I feel when I'm in the park, and I just I didn't enjoy my my trips to to DC. I don't know why. All right, a couple of other uh, a couple of players uh, this season are outperforming their expected numbers, which is kind of a stat that's a little bit new, uh, where you can look at how a player is performing compared to how he should perform based on where he's hitting the ball, how hard he's hitting the ball, things of that sort. Austin Meadows, Jorge Polanco, James McCann, Wilson Contreras among them. Uh, do you think any of these guys have staying power? Polanco was a breakout pick for me at the start of the year. I forget if I did that in SI or if I did that in the newsletter, but um, he was somebody who I loved coming into this year. If you look at his numbers in the second half of last year, after he came back from the suspension, um, he, he hit very well. So to me, this is development. Uh, Meadows is somebody who, you know, really is his first full season in the major leagues. I, I want to believe it's real for him. So one name there that sticks out for me, just because he has a track record of not hitting this, is Brian, excuse me, James McCann. Um, McCann's somebody who basically free talent pickup for the White Sox after the Tigers let him go. Um, he slugged very well. 
I'm surprised by how well he's at right-handers. He's somebody who really struck me as a platoon-type player. A McCann-McCann platoon really would be a pretty, <laughs> a pretty uh, good platoon behind the plate. Uh, but I think McCann's the guy when I think about this list. Uh, not No real track record of hitting this well. The expected numbers, and I, I use those all the time, Mark. I'm sure you do too. I love what the baseball savant guys do. Um, I think that's something that really kind of jumps out at me. I think McCann's numbers will start to look more like his career numbers. You know, 260, 270 with a large platoon split by the end of the year. Another thing that's expected to go way up this year, uh, shift numbers. Uh, we are expected to see more than 44,000 shifts when balls are hit this year. Uh, where do you think things stand with the shift now? What about things like the four-man outfield? Well, we saw Kevin Biggio, who's been in the major leagues for, what, three days? Mm-hmm. And the Rays pulled out a four-man outfield against him. And just gives you an idea of just the amount of data we're collecting even on minor leaguers now. Uh, I will say that I, I would like to see us stop thinking of it as a shift. At what point, you mentioned 44,000. At yep. what point is realigning your defense so common that, you know, standard defense is normal? Um, I was in, in the wake of the, the Caden Biggio uh, play, I was – I mentioned something on Twitter, and Travis Sawchuk said, you know, isn't a nickel defense actually the standard defense in the NFL now? And, and it is. I think the, most teams have five defensive backs on the field most plays. And if you certainly watch a baseball game, it certainly feels like somebody's not in the traditional positions on almost every play. And to me, it's not a shift. It's just defense. And that's the – and maybe it's going to take time. I and mean, we've only really been in this era for maybe a, a decade at the most, you know, really aggressively was it five years. But, you know, 15 years from now, I don't want to hear broadcasters talking about, oh, he beat the shift or he hit the ball into the shift. It's just fundamentally you're putting the players where the ball is most likely to be hit. And we talk about it like it's a modern thing. But what's changed isn't that principle. What's changed is the reliability of data on where the ball is going to be hit. If you gave Earl Weaver this information, Mark Belanger would have been spending a lot of time on the other side of second base. If you'd given Casey Stengel this information, Billy Martin would have spent a lot of his career in short right field. It's, it's not – the shift isn't the innovation. The data is the innovation. It's common sense. Putting basically. players – common sense. The reason, right, the reason we don't – when you're five years old, when I was five years old, well, why doesn't the first baseman stand on first base and the second baseman stand on second base? Well, that's because not, that's not where the ball's hit. We aligned 120 years ago. They put the, the – Seven defenders, you know, inventing a shortstop. John Thorne will probably be the guy to talk to about when a shortstop enters the field. But they put the seven guys where the ball, not, they didn't know where the ball was most likely to be hit, but they had the general idea and they wanted to cover the most ground. So this principle isn't new. Um, and I really think I'd, I'd love to see this conversation change from shifts to just, hey, it's defense. Let's get over it. It's a shame that we don't have video, enough video from the 1950s to retrack all of it. all right so you've mentioned a couple of times our ages and and looking back to your childhood a little bit uh so i had a a list question for you we do a list question with every guest can you come up with three players today who play whose play reminds you of watching baseball in the 1980s the first guy is billy hamilton i feel like we had a whole class of guys like him uh, everybody's leadoff hitter was Billy Hamilton. You know, this 5'8", 155-pound guy who couldn't hit the ball in park standing on second base, but would stop the ball, probably didn't walk a whole lot. 
know, the Omar Marino, Willie, Cla- Willie Wilson, you know, Frank Tavares was the shortstop version of this. Whole bunch of guys who were stars. Vince Coleman. You know, if you take Billy Hamilton back to 1987, he makes a lot more. Well, <laughs> maybe he doesn't make a lot more money because of the economics of the game, but he's certainly a star. Um, and there's that type of player. And I've, I've done various looks at this from looking at weight or looking at power. The no power player doesn't exist anymore. You have to have a certain modicum of power to play the game. You just don't see guys, even Billy Hamilton hits seven home runs a year. You just don't see guys play a full season, hit two home runs a year. That's one of the biggest changes in today's game. The 270 hitter power does not exist. Larry Boa doesn't have a job in today's game. Uh, so, yeah, that's the first one. Um, it was funny. I was watching him pitching against the Mets last night. Uh, Rich Hill. You know, there were so many slop-throwing lefties. You know, because everybody, I mean, slop. We, back then, slop was 81. And 81 doesn't get you a job in the SEC anymore. Um, <laughs> but like, I think about guys like Dave LaPointe. Um, and if I sit here, I'd probably think about a thousand other guys, but these, you know, nothing throwing lefties who got by on guile and, you know, location and changing speeds from 81 to 74. Um, you know, Rich Hill, Rich Hill, who of course has had this very strange career path, probably the spiritual successor to those guys. And then, um, I, I made this comp and I don't think people really liked it, but Tim Anderson and Shawan Dunstan, <laughs> uh, the Chicago shortstop thing, I think makes it a little facile, but. Uh, in terms of guys who just don't walk, who, you know, I think if Dunstan played today, he'd show the power that Anderson does. And again, that's just an error difference as much as anything else. Anderson doesn't have Dunstan's arm, but he's got a very, sh- he's got a very sure, strong arm. And they're both a bit mis- mistake prone all over the field. So um, that, those are the three things that came to mind. But I really, the, the Hamilton class of player that doesn't exist anymore, and it goes back to the earlier question about home runs. You know, if, if you don't hit home runs, you can't play. True. It's very true. I, I wrote down a, a couple. I had like I, I don't I don't know that this is necessarily so, but um, Byron Buxton as being someone uh, also another turf kind of player. Uh, he would have fit in great with the '80s Cardinals teams. Um, Pete Alonso as like uh, just uh, as a, a your home run on command kind of guy, which he doesn't he doesn't necessarily hit like him, kind of like Strawberry. Uh, and then I wrote Verlander and Scherzer as this generation's Roger Clemens. Oh, that's that's the classic. I mean, the power right-hander is an archetype throughout history. I never thought about that, but yeah. Uh, Scherzer, those guys probably won't have the longevity that Clemens does, but if you look at them at their peak, that's a great comp. I love that. Da- All right, so David Code was on the show last week. Another uh, good, one, good one to bring up uh, in terms of uh, trying to comp someone to, to back in the day. Uh, and we had him invent a stat. Uh, and he chose to invent something related to catcher framing and umpire and pitcher impact. Uh, I have a feeling if we ask you to invent a stat, you're going to come up with something a little bit different. So what do you got? We've always measured, tried to measure clutch by output stats, right? And that's a problem in a game where every, a lot of people are involved in the, in the, in the output. There's a pitcher and a hitter. So if there's a single, we decide that the batter goes clutch and the pitcher wasn't. You know, the defense gets to the ball. It's all based on the outputs rather than the inputs. Um, we'll eventually get there, I think. But I would love the inputs in a clutch situation. When somebody comes up in on September 18th and they're a game and a half back and they're second and third and two outs, I want to know is is the player's heartbeat, you know, above the knee. Everybody's heartbeat will go up in that situation. Who goes up least? What's his pulse rate? Can we eventually figure out what's going on in his brain? Like biometric stuff, 
so that instead of measuring clutch by outputs, we can actually measure it by inputs. Who actually slows the game down? Instead of looking at Derek Jeter and saying he has calm eyes, you know, let's actually figure out who's actually the most calm in those situations. I'm, Heartbeat I above replacement? That, <laughs> excuse me. I like that. Um, harp. harp. Heartbeat yep. above replacement player. Right. Uh, but yeah, that kind of that kind of input for clutch, I think, would be interesting. I, obviously, right. it's not something you guys can do at SIS. <laughs> not yet. All right, last question. Uh, if we were going to have you on the podcast a year from now, what's something we would talk about that we're not even thinking about in uh, today? Oh boy. <sighs> I was thinking the spending of the Blue Jays to match the young talent that they have. Yeah, and I went completely off the chart with this one. Um, in 2016, running the newsletter, I noticed that my numbers dropped. They didn't go up as much as they, they, they normally would. And I was talking about this with uh, I, I, uh, my friend Will Carroll, who was a former colleague at Perspectives, and he said it was the election. The 2016 election dominated the news in a way that really no election had. And I think in 2020, it's only going to be more so. And I think everything, baseball, football, the performing arts, any kind of leisure distraction is all going to feel it. I think baseball is going to feel it in particular because it's the summer sport. So when the conventions are going on and when we're leading up to you know, the, the Democrats picking their nominee and the various you know, attacks are building, it be happening parallel to the 2020 baseball season. The 2020 pennant race and postseason are going to be parallel to the run-up to election day. I think everything in our country is going to be subsumed in the, using that word wrong, um, is going to be secondary to the election in a way that wasn't really the case in 1952 when Ike was running. It wasn't really the case in 76 when Jimmy Carter was going up against Gerald Ford. Um, I think the 2020 election is going to push baseball and all baseball-related items to the background. And people like us are really going to have to dig in to pay attention. Joe Sheehan's newsletter can be found at www.joesheehan.com. That's J-O-E-S-H-E-E-H-A-N.com. Recent topics include the Mets, the Twins, the disappearance of the intentional walk, and Ray's opener, Ryan Stanek. Joe, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Mark. It was great to, have you. Great to be on this. It's a great podcast. You're out. We move on to our segment called Instant Replay. It's where we look at projects we're working on and articles we've written. We'll also share some leaderboards and interesting stats we've found. Andrew Kine from the research and development team joins me now. And the first thing that we want to do is talk about our most interesting thing for the week. Andrew, what do you got? My most interesting thing was actually what Joe had mentioned, which was the Rays playing a four-man outfield on Kevin Biggio. And it wasn't necessarily the four-man outfield itself because it's something that the Rays uh, have already done a bunch of times this year. We've talked about it a couple times on the podcast uh, but it was notable because Biggio was only playing in his fourth major league game. So even though there wasn't much of a big league sample size there, they uh, already had it ready for him. And it seems like something that uh, teams are potentially incorporating more and more minor league data into their processes. And I know that you uh, learned a little bit more about the Rays defense when you saw them in New York a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I went to Yankee Stadium, talked to the coaching staff there, uh, talked to uh, a player as well, just about uh, watching the game from a defensive perspective. number of interesting things that came out of that. The most notable was probably talking to the uh, one of the Rays coaches about 
four-man outfield usage, and he talked about how important it was that there were only one or two pitchers that were available that particular day that they would even consider doing it for because of the rate, I suppose, at at which they give up fly balls. Uh, The other thing that's just interesting, and Joe kind of alluded to it, is the statistical sophistication that exists nowadays, which segues into something that you wrote, uh, about minor league shifting. We happen to track that. Andrew uh, dug into the results. Yeah, so it's it's not quite as common as shifting in the majors, which is something that we talk about a lot, uh, but it is increasing. Uh, it's been going up steadily in both AA and AAA in the last couple of years. And if, if you look at the percentage of balls in play that have a shift on in the majors, it's almost at 40% this year, which is the highest it's ever been. AAA, it's about 25%, and then AA is about 20%. Uh, But it's pretty interesting because if you look at the correlation between how much uh, Major League team shifts and how much their AAA affiliate shifts, there's a pretty strong positive trend there, Uh, which, you know, we would probably expect to see that teams like the Twins and the Pirates and Rays who shift a lot in the majors also have their uh, AAA teams shifting too. Uh, But I think the bigger takeaway is probably that these players are getting used to these extreme alignments before they're even getting to the big leagues. So whether that's the fielders moving around or the pitchers pitching in front of them or even the the hitters hitting into them, they're starting to see these more before they even get to the major leagues. One pitcher has benefited significantly from shifts, and actually his team has benefited significantly from them as well, is Justin Verlander, the Astros ace. Uh, We did an article on the Sports Info Solutions blog about the unbelievable effectiveness of his slider and the great performance of the Astros' defense. Uh, behind him. Encourage you to check that out. Uh, Verlander's numbers this season have been very good. He's got one little flaw, though, that doesn't have anything to do with the defense. Yeah, he he has given up a lot of home runs. He's given up 13 and 12 starts. Maybe a little bit of bad luck there. We have our expected batting numbers, and uh, the expectation based on the quality of contact was about 11 home runs, so maybe a couple were were cheap or maybe a couple that uh, wouldn't have necessarily gone over in other parks. Uh, but if you just look at expected hits overall, he's actually allowed 10 fewer hits than would be expected, and that's probably where the defense comes into play, and, and we've seen how good the Astros can be, and they, they currently lead the American League in defensive runs saved. And we should mention, too, Joe uh, talked about StatCast and expected numbers. We have our own expected numbers uh, system that's based on where a ball is hit, how hard it's hit overall as opposed to uh, exit velocity, and the type of batted ball that it is. So... When we refer to uh, to expected performance, these numbers aren't necessarily public, but you'll see them occasionally in places like our Twitter or our blog. Uh, that's what we're referring to. Another team that has stopped uh, stopped the opponent on the defensive side, Joe mentioned it, the Dodgers, the best in baseball, Cody Bellinger throwing guys out all over the place. Uh, Alex Verdugo's been very good in the outfield. They were our stat of the week last week. If you haven't uh, gotten an opportunity to see that, if you want to subscribe to the stat of the week, actasports.com backslash stat of the week is the place to go there. Segwaying to another article that was uh, written recently, we want to give a shout out to our departing colleague, Patrick Rowley, who is uh, headed elsewhere. Uh, Patrick did a clever piece where he picked a tool among the uh, five tools, then picked a player that best fit that tool to try and construct the Mike Trout or the, or the Cody Bellinger in this case of baseball. Uh, you can find his article on the Sports Info Solutions blog. Uh, I think his outfielder choice was particularly interesting. Uh, he did not necessarily go in a direction that you would think. Uh, we, we decided to come up with our own, so what do you got? 
So for average, I went with Jose Altuve. I know that he's hurt and, and his knee problems might cause him to decline a little bit here, but he's still kind of who I just think about when I think of hitting for average. Hitting for power, I would say Aaron Judge, but you really can't go wrong with a Judge or a Stanton or a Joey Gallo type. Uh, fielding, I'll go with an infielder and I'll say Matt Chapman. Uh, throwing, Ramon Laureano is who Patrick had, and I'm going to stick with that because we've seen a couple of ridiculous throws from him this year. And then for base running, I'll say Trey Turner for, for his speed, both uh, in terms of being able to steal and being able to advance. All right. So I don't have any problem with yours. I just came up with a slightly different look to it. Uh, Anthony Rendon, another national, as the uh, as the hitter. If you look at his expected numbers and his actual numbers, uh, he's headed into free agency this coming uh, offseason. He's going to cash in big time because he has a great combination of hitting for average and hits for power, too. For power, I did say Cody Bellinger. If you watched him uh, against the Mets recently, he's been fantastic. He has a great uppercut swing. Uh, he also has a great line drive swing. He leads the majors in line drive rate. For running, I mentioned it with Joe, Byron Buxton, uh, your ideal artificial turf player, uh, arguably the fastest player in baseball. Can't pass up Andrelton Simmons on the defensive side, the Angel shortstop, even though he's out with an injured ankle. Uh, and then for throwing, I didn't go with an outfielder. I went with Loriano's teammate and infielder, Matt Chapman. Nice. All right, so a couple other loose ends to tie up. Don't forget our college prospects draft series. This has actually been pretty good. Harris Eden, Dominic Asta, and their crew have uh, written scouting reports, like legit scouting reports similar to what a major league team would get on the top college prospects in the MLB draft. Uh, you can find them at our blog, sportsinfosolutions.com. Uh, they loved uh, the catcher who's projected to go number one. I just We're going to post their... The, their article on right-handed pitchers today. There are a couple of big power guys. Uh, their top right-handed pitcher they compared to Josh Johnson, uh, which I thought was an uh, interesting comparison. So you can check that out. Check out Stat of the Week. We will soon have the Defensive Player of the Month for the month of May. Lots of good candidates for that. It's time for the Ridiculous Numbers of the Week. Ridiculous Numbers of the Day. I'm going to keep it simple this week, and I'm going to say 2-10, and ten, and that's the Nationals' record in games started by Max Scherzer. And if you look at the last three years, they were 22-11, and 21-10, and 10, and 24-10. and 10. So given that they've already lost 10 games, they basically have to win that's ridiculous. every Scherzer start for the rest of the season. I thought that was pretty crazy and pretty ridiculous. Yeah, his ERA, so the defense behind him has been particularly poor this year. Um, uh, Joe referenced that it's, it's fairly easy to pick up when you look at the ERA FIP differential. He's essentially pitching the same way that he has in any year, but the Nationals' defense has uh, definitely let him down. My ridiculous numbers of the day, uh, I went to the Met game on Sunday, and we helped the Tiger broadcast crew out. One thing that we tipped them off to was the idea that Todd Frazier had not hit a ground ball to the right side of the infield all season. And sure enough, during that game, he pushed a bunt that way and produced a run uh, for the Mets. And then the next day against the Dodgers, Frazier did it again. So I went looking for a guy, the guys, who never hit the ball to the opposite field on the ground. Literally almost never hit the ball to the opposite field. There was actually another one in that game. Josh Harrison has hit 41 ground balls this year. 38 of them have been to the left of second base. 
couple of others. Matt Kemp, 17 out of 18 to the left of second. As Drupal Cabrera, 25 out of 26 to the right side. Why do you even play a shortstop and a third baseman on that side? It's not worth it. Same for Matt Adams, 15 out of 16. There's one guy who's perfect, and since we started the show with a Philly, we'll end the show with a Philly. Scott Kingry has, at the time of this taping, hit 18 ground balls this season. All of them have been to the left of second base. Thank you for listening to the fifth episode of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. For our guest, Joe Sheehan, our co-host, Andrew Kine, and our producers, Justin Stein and Matt Manocharian, I'm Mark Simon. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.